and welcome to the second ever episode of Bella Hutman's Curse. I am Steve Sutherland, along with my co-host Julian Anamarante. Julian, how are you doing today? Very good, thank you. A little bit hot. Yeah, it is a scorcher out there, and God, just if it could only cool down just a little bit. Um, the games have been hot, but have they been hot enough? Uh, today in the podcast, we're going to go through group by group uh, based on the results over the past couple of weeks, talk about the group winners, the group losers. We're also then, uh, once we're done that, we're going to move into the knockout stages and go game by game. Uh, today, we're very lucky to have with us a very special guest co-host. Bridget, <laughs> how are you doing today? I am doing well. I was warm this afternoon, but as I'm calling from England it's cooling off because it's a little later in the evening here. Very nice. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners, that would be great. Okay, well, as I mentioned, I'm living in England. I am a Canadian. Um, I studied art history, which might seem irrelevant, but I wrote um, two pages of my master's thesis on football and national identity um, at the World Cup uh, 2006, and um, I'm currently working on something that I hope will eventually be submitted as a doctoral thesis in history. My area is 20th century English history. So football comes into that from time to time, though I'm not actually writing about it. So my history with supporting a team, with following football, I didn't grow up following sports or playing sports at all. The first World Cup that I really followed was 2006. Um, I moved to England in 2009, and my second day here, a friend took me to see England versus Ukraine. It was a qualifier at Wembley. And a couple days later, he took me to a Premier League game, which was um, Fulham versus Liverpool Football Club at Craven Cottage. And from that point, it was a full-on obsession that sometimes I have to step away from if I get a little too emotionally involved. You're here. Um, I have a couple of teams that I support, and the way I came to support each one is a little complicated, I'm going to say. Um, I'm a Liverpool supporter in the Premier League, and I chose Liverpool because I'm a Canadian, so I had to choose my team. I wasn't born into one. Um, I chose Liverpool because I heard that Liverpool was the port that my Irish ancestors traveled to Canada via, and so that was the closest I could get to a local team. Um, I do have other teams that, like, I want good things for Portsmouth because I, 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 study, I study history uh, related to Portsmouth in the 20th century, so I want good things for them. Um, in terms of a national team, again, Canadian, so I had to pick. Um, I support, uh, inter um, my national team that I support is Spain, in large part because of how many Spanish players Rafa Benitez brought in when he was managing Liverpool. And I also, su I also support Atletico Madrid in La Liga. Um, this was almost a more arbitrary choice because I'm not remotely Spanish, but something in my personality reacts against established, you know, powers kind of thing. And I liked the way that Atleti fostered loyalty among players and fans, even in the face of immense pressure. So those are declaring my interests at this point. Very good. Steve, uh, how do you feel about having a, 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 a hard Liverpool supporter on the pod? Well, when they remember to win trophies, it'll be okay. <laughs> no, I, I, you know what? I have to say, uh, of all the clubs in England this year, a lot of people gave credit to what Pep Guardiola has done at, at Manchester City. But for me, rock star football reigns supreme. Yeah. Uh, 
I can't believe I'm going to say this on something that's going to be recorded, but if there's one manager, like if I could ever play professional football and there was one manager that I could go play for, it, Jurgen Klopp is the only manager oh. who could make me play for Liverpool. Great choice. Great choice. Oh, I like him so much. So we're, we're going to do, I guess before we uh, move into the group stages, how is everybody enjoying uh, this year's World Cup? Bridget. I am absolutely enjoying the chaos of it. Uh, because that, that seems to me to be a bit of a theme, that there's all sorts of upsets and you don't know what to expect. And I'm really enjoying that. I think that's about all I have to say at this point. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I'm a rubbernecker. I'm going to watch any football anytime. And the World Cup is really, and there's no event like it, so I'm always going to be there glaring. But I do have a problem this year with the, what I refer to as the technocracy of football. I just think these guys, they're definitely better athletes. They're, they're incredibly fine-tuned uh, uh, you know, well, again, athletes, but it's just that the style of play is very robotic for me. So that's that's the only real rub I've got against this World Cup. Otherwise, yes. Has the, has the refereeing been too robotic for you as well with yeah. all the technology that's been involved? I'm not a fan of our. Well, we discussed that. We'll have we'll probably have a full podcast uh, coming up after the World Cup on on a full discussion breaking down why VAR is the right thing. Uh, for for the World Cup, they might not have got it right right now, but it's a it's a step in the right direction. All right, we're going to take a quick break before we move into part one, uh, groups A through D. We'll be right back. And we are back. So first up for discussion today, we have Group A uh, with Uruguay winning the group. Russia finishing in second, Saudi Arabia a surprising third, and uh, Egypt an absolutely devastating last place. Bridget, I'm going to go to you first on what your thoughts were on this group. Okay, well, um, I should say, I mean, if we're talking about predictions and how they turn out, I should say that um, I'm actually a little hostile to the idea of prediction in football. Um, I've read Soccernomics and I've listened to the Freakonomics <laughs> podcast for years, but I study history and I don't believe that football has enough solid variables that anything can be predicted with certainty. There's nice. always random factors that can throw a team or a player off. Um, the group stages of this World Cup have actually gone some way to confirming this, um, as the theme of this competition appears to be chaos. Um, Further to the point, I don't know if anyone can be fully neutral in their predictions. I mean, this is all this is all me trying to preface the fact that my predictions are probably going to be very, very strange to you guys who are kind of more experts on the on the area. Um, I'm also fairly superstitious, so I have this whole thing that I'm afraid to jinx my teams by saying they'll win or <laughs> lose. You know. Um, so pretty much every group that we talk about, I'm going to have some sort of caveat where I declare my interest or declare, you know, why I feel a particular way. So all that said, I did do a bracket before the World Cup started and based my predictions on FIFA rankings, on, all the, on the clubs and the records of the players in each team. In this group, I predicted Uruguay to come out on top, yay, but I predicted Egypt to be in second. <laughs> um, I think my limited predicting skills overlooked how seeding would affect the groups. Yeah. I looked at Russia's FIFA ranking and I saw how many of them were playing in Russia, 
which is, I heard, I think it was on the commentary actually in their first match, that they have a closed system that has certain quotas. Um, they have a quota for each team in the Russian league uh, that so many players have to be Russian. And one of the critiques of that is that it leads to a, a Russian players um, becoming somewhat complacent. And I saw how many Egyptian players were playing in the Premier League. So I believe that this would mean that they were used to a certain level of competitive play. I was wrong. But I suppose the the data should have have told me a different story if I filtered it differently. I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of data sets about different players from GitHub, um, and the user was Pradap Vardhan. Um, I just thought I should credit the person who compiled it, and uh, I sort of thought that World Cup because I'd seen a correlation between World Cup appearances and um, uh, international players playing in English leagues, but I hadn't looked at how many of those correlated to World Cup wins. So, I mean, that's me telling you what my prediction was and why I'm pretty sure it went wrong. Well, I was going to just add in or chime in here. Uh, Bridget, uh, we're far from experts. <laughs> so, but thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, what I'm going to say is, this, this group was truly, there's nothing really truly surprising about this group for me. It went exactly as I had predicted it. I um, would like to point out that Uruguay has really at this point been probably the best defensive team. They haven't allowed any goals. And I think that they're actually looking to hit their stride. Uh, I, I would base this a lot on their efficient performances. And I could really go, see them going from strength to strength and peaking at the right time. Um, the, the, this performance in, in the group stage to prove to me that Uruguay have the quality and the depth. Uh, I would point to people like Cavani, Suarez, Muslera, Godin, Jimenez, Caceres. Uh, very talented and young midfield. Um, I, I actually think that they're going to reach the final four of this tournament. Uh, Russia surprised me with some very attractive free-flowing football and attacking football. The match against Uruguay, though, kind of revealed to me that they might have peaked a little bit too early. Um, they were seriously outclassed by Uruguay in that final group match. The Saudis, uh, I, I know that they won the last match, but for me, they were just horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was really surprised that they managed to defeat Egypt, which brings me to Egypt. Um, th this team should have done much better, in my opinion. Um, I know that there was uh, an unfit and out-of-form Mo Salah, um, but they have quality players like Higazi, who, despite playing for West Brom, is a quality del uh, defender. And they have great talent from some of the traditional uh, African powerhouse clubs, Al-Khali, which is probably, uh, which, no, sorry, is the most decorated club in African history, and Zamlak, uh, not to mention the great success of the national squad uh, they've had in, in the history of the African Nations Cup. Um, what I'm trying to say is that they have a tradition, and I thought that tradition would actually kind of carry them. Uh, but surprisingly, none of this came through. Uh, I, so Egypt, in the end, kind of disappointed me. I really expected some real swash, swashbuckling football from them. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement on Uruguay at this point. Um, I, I really want to focus specifically on uh, Jimenez and Godin because uh, yeah. we all know... <laughs> Your team. We know that goals uh, lead to getting out of the group stage almost all the time, but at the end of the day, you have to stop the ball from going in the net just as much as you have to put the ball into the net. Yeah. Um, and there is no center back pairing in this tournament 
that looks more comfortable with one another than Godin and Jimenez at all. Yeah, I think they're a real powerhouse in the back. You, you, a lot. Some people will point to Thiago Silva and Miranda playing well. I don't think they have played well for Brazil at all. Um, there really hasn't been a sta- like standout defenders in this tournament apart from everyone who plays for Uruguay. You can't say it's just Godin and Jimenez because they they attack as a team, they defend as a team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of Russia, uh, let's be honest, I don't think any of us think that they can beat Spain. We'll discuss that later. Yeah. But I, I would agree with Julian. They, they did play uh, a fair amount of, of really good attacking football. Um, and... Realistically, they do have they do have the talent within the team, but uh, historically, it's just never shown up and, and been put together well enough. So uh, I think second place was right for them in the group. Uh, Saudi Arabia, there's really nothing to be said there. Egypt, uh, just wow. Uh, yeah. Talk about probably uh, and excluding all of the big teams and all of the historically big teams in Europe and in World Cups that have won World Cups, uh, Egypt has to be considered the most disappointing team uh, or one of the most disappointing teams in the entirety of this tournament. Sadly so, yeah. Which I think leads into a little bit of discussion for us. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you both was, what's up with Mo Salah? Do we think he's still hurt? Uh, or, or is he just, is he not as good as this season present? Now this might be a little bit of bias, but is he not as good as, as this season was where really the system made him look a lot better than, than he is? Bridget, I'll go to you first. Um, well, is Mo Salah hurt? Um, I do think he was carrying some Injury still. I mean, I remember that I, I, I was watching that Champions League final, and I saw Ramos take him down, and it did look pretty brutal to me. I also think there's an immense pressure on him right now. This is one of those teams where everyone else has kind of been pushed to the background in the media. I heard it referred to several times as Mo Salah's Egypt. And beyond the pressure on the pitch, it sounds like he's under pressure from um, because of what he represents as Mo Salah of Egypt. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, there might be multiple factors there. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would second that, and I, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't think he's fit. I, I think that you know, uh, three and a half week layoff, plus probably, you know, if you ever had that, if you've ever had that kind of injury, you know, you will, you'll, you'll know that it's painful for a long time. So I, I, he's probably playing with some kind of discomfort. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he could pull off something close next season to what he did this year. Although, um, and if he does, that's definitely going to mark him as, a, as as one of the greats in the game right now. And I, I, I see the opportunity for that, uh, particularly with, you know, the, the front three that he's playing with, with Sadio Mane and uh, Firmino. I, I can see him still staying on the same trajectory. You all know, and the players that Liverpool have added... Yeah, uh, in the season, so I would say still great, but I think he does benefit. Like uh, to me, and take it with a grain of salt because it may not be completely objective, but 
he does very much fit into the system and plays off of Firmino and Mane. And maybe Firmino and Mane don't get enough credit for how good of a season Mo Salah had last year sure. with Liverpool. Uh, and there is uh, there is this issue too uh, that apparently he may not return back to the, the Egyptian national team. There's been talk that he's basically going to bow out from playing for the national team. I hope that's not true. Uh, but um, I guess, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Okay. On to uh, what I think was probably the most predictable group in uh, in the entirety of this World Cup, uh, although it didn't get decided until the end because these two teams have had so many issues. We're going to focus now on uh, Spain as the group winners, uh, Portugal, uh, Iran, and Morocco. Bridget, we'll go to you first again. Okay, well, as you heard in the intro, Spain is my main team, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'm simultaneously very hopeful and also terrified of jinxing them. Um, I was wearing my jersey for all of the matches, and then in the last match, I was wearing my Spain shorts. So, I don't know if that affected the outcome. I'm not wearing them together, because the shorts are Euro 2008, and the jersey is World Cup uh, 2014, and I think it would be very gauche to wear them together. Can't yeah, figure out which one's better luck. You don't have the star, right? Yeah, for the World Cup. Well, I've got the, the jersey has the star. Okay, that's anyways, good. Yeah. So it's I, anyways. As you can see, I am quite superstitious. I made fish and chips for supper tonight because, and then I was worried that the poutine that I was having, because my husband was having the fish, I was worried that the poutine might offset England's luck somehow. Anyways, back to this group. Um, I paid really close attention to my motivations behind my predictions for this group because Spain can be so hot and cold and also had a fairly embarrassing struggle last World Cup. I also feel they sort of failed to distinguish themselves in Euro 2016, but I really, really love them. And I have to say, Julian, that your opinion that they, they could win the whole thing fostered some tentative hope in my heart. My predictions for this group, with the aforementioned energetic attempt at neutrality, was that Spain would come out on top and Portugal would be second. It turns out I was right, but it was touch and go for a minute there on Monday night. I always felt Spain would make it out of the group stage, which they have, but I was also worried and continue to be worried that the drama around Lopetegui leaving and Hiera coming in two days before the start of the competition might have some negative psychological impact on the squad's performance. I'm not a footballer, but I could also see here having a tough road at home managing a squad that was assembled and trained by someone else. I always saw Morocco as posing some sort of challenge because of the diversity of their, their uh, squad's club experiences. I think I was sort of right on that, even though the result wasn't, wasn't great for Morocco. Spain made a couple foolish mistakes defensively. There is De Gea's distraction in one of Ronaldo's goals in the Portugal match, and Piquet and Ramos sort of just let Butaib pra uh, practically stroll up to the net in the Morocco match. Um, there was this is I saw um, I saw an interview on BT Sport with Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, and Steven Gerrard. I, I think I shared it to the group where they were talking about the struggle of club versus country for their England squad. Apparently, uh, competition in the league was fairly intense, and that meant that friendships between players on the national team suffered and prevented the national team from properly gelling. I wonder if there's something like this creating tension between PK and Ramos, because there doesn't seem to me to be enough cooperation and communication. I really hope that that changes as the, as the tournament progresses. Um, Spain's style, which has always made me love them, felt a little dangerous against Iran and Morocco, which were teams that appeared to be more inclined to physicality. 
I understood Iran's attempt at an ironclad defense, but it really frustrated me. And Spain had a lot of trouble breaking through that. Even though I enjoyed their improvisation, they, they really, I, I think they struggled with that. I watched Spain versus Morocco rather than Iran-Portugal. Everyone else seemed to be watching Iran-Portugal. Um, and that match was really aggressive. Um, I kind of was a little worried that it would come to blows at the end because it had been really, it had been really sort of, people, they'd been in their faces. Um, at the very end, because the last goal was decide whether it was allowed or not was decided by VAR, it was just, it raised the tension. It raised the tension for the, the supporters and it raised the tension on the pitch. One of the commentators speculated whether anyone knew whether the game was still going or not. Um, so, I mean, like, it, when we're talking about VAR, the benefits or the, the problems of it, I mean, I don't know if it's going to change the level of entertainment value of a, of a match, but it does change the tone. So that's my, that's sort of my summing up of my experience watching that group. Definitely, and I think it was a really good point you made about PK and Ramos, and I'm going to come back to that um, in just a couple minutes. Uh, Julian, what, uh, what were your thoughts in regards to Spain and Portugal? Uh, once and Iran and Morocco. Yeah, Let's yeah. give them credit. Yes, of course, well. of course. Uh, once again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really surprised by the final standings, uh, but I'm surprised that Spain and Portugal made it look close at the end. Uh, Bridget, you'll be happy to know that I still think that Spain is the team to beat, that I still think they're, they're going to be the team that's going to prevail at the end. Uh, both teams, uh, and I'm talking about Spain and Portugal here, seem to be flirting with disaster. And that's not to d d diminish the quality of Iran and Morocco, but just like Egypt, these countries, you know, they have a very rich tradition of club and national football. Iran with Parisipolis, Morocco, Raja Casablanca, both teams have fared always well at, and, uh, in the African Nations Cup. Um, they, they, they are well coached, they have many quality players, and many of their stars also figure quite prominently in uh, major clubs across, across Europe. But I was expecting them to give Spain and Portugal more difficulty, difficulty than they had. Um, um, it seemed to me that both Iran and Morocco were beginning to find their form as their group stage was coming to an end. And it's too bad because also, like Egypt, I think these teams kind of underperformed at the beginning. Um, I must say that the match, though, between Spain and Portugal was a classic. Uh, this will go down in history as one of the best, best matches in World Cup history. Uh, by far, for me, uh, personally, the best uh, in the tournament up until this point. I mean, uh, I, I've yet to see a match that, that really had all the ingredients like that. Um, also, a historical performance by Ronaldo in that, in that match. In my opinion, that will go down as one of the great individual performances in World Cup history. That's fair. I'm going to come back with what I think was my uh, favorite match of the tournament later on. Um, while I think this was definitely a classic, I think there's one uh, that provided more excitement. I think I really think that the match between Spain and Portugal really came down to a lot of defensive errors. It wasn't it wasn't because like listen, I agree with you. Ronaldo scored three goals. You can't take those three goals away from him. But let's be very clear: there there are some serious problems in the Spain camp that uh, that will hopefully be solved by the time. Uh, they play Russia, or at least after Russia. They can work them out during that game. Um, for me, uh, I was slightly disappointed in this group only because uh, I had picked an upstart Iran instead of Morocco 
to actually knock Portugal out of this group. Um, I thought with Carlos Quiroz as the manager uh, and who had managed the Portuguese national team, uh, was an assistant manager at Manchester United when Ronaldo was there, I figured that they would have a plan to stop him. And they did. But this is the, this is, I'm going to bring up VAR because I think this, uh, the game between Portugal and Iran, I think was the first major mistake that we saw with VAR or one of the biggest major mistakes. And that was, uh, that was the elbow from Ronaldo on one of the Iranian players. Mm-hmm. And for me, if VAR is to be used properly, I think they need to put more control into the hands of the VAR referee to be able to kind of override the referee on the pitch. Otherwise, what's the point? We're only getting the appearance of fairness. We're not getting actual fairness on the pitch. Um, I actually Morocco and Iran played Spain and Portugal very well. Yeah, they did. Uh, they they really took the game to them. Which uh, you know, it's it's disappointing that they didn't do this uh, earlier on in in the second round of games, um, but I still think they both had had tournaments that they can be proud of, and they they held very big teams to some very significant results for themselves when they they've not really performed at this level in a World Cup in a very long time. Spain. Uh, De Gea looked like the first season he played at United where just everything <laughs> went in the net. Um, it was really disappointing uh, to watch that because we all know the quality of keeper that he is. Um, but I definitely expect to watch him bounce back. Um, Bridget, I wanted to go back quickly to the point you brought up about Pique and Ramos. Um, I, I would agree. I think, there's a, I think there's a significant issue there in the exact opposite of what you see with, uh, with Jimenez and Godin. Um, uh, PK and Ramos do not like each other, and I think they were only forced to like one another when uh, Xavi and Casillas were in the team and were able to bring Real Madrid and Barcelona players together to actually win a tournament. Um, it'll be interesting to see if anybody can step up in that point to to bring this team back together. Um, Puyol, too. Puyol was good. Yeah, yes, yes, very good. Yeah, I, you know, I, I got a comment on this 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 kind of Ramos Pique rupture, if that's what you want to call it. Friction. I, yeah, friction. But I actually think it's a rupture. I mean, their body language speaks volumes. These two guys do not like each other. Uh, uh, you can tell. Uh, however, I have this theory, and I know it's very subjective, but I have this feeling that you know the team probably had a good meeting. And said, you know, let, 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 let's put our differences aside. Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. uh, but I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if at some point during this tournament or after the tournament, uh, you know, th- that it comes out that, you know, these, these guys sat, sat down and said, listen, we need to put our differences aside and we need to function as a team. And I actually believe that if indeed they kind of, you know, turn this um, – crisis of you know losing their coach days before the tournament into a positive i think this is the kind of stuff that can carry a team very far you know because this is half psychological i i like to believe anyways you know and uh they'll utilize this i think yeah um my question for the group uh unless anybody else has anything to like bridget do you have anything to add to what julian shared there i know i'm just listening i'm finding it very interesting 
Okay, perfect. Uh, can Ronaldo keep this up? If anybody wants to jump in, uh, I'll, uh, I'll open that up to the floor. I'm gonna, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, actually, I actually thought after that match, I just said, okay, that's it. He might have one more performance like this. But then, you know, he turned around and he scored a, 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 another goal in the following match. And even in the, even in the game against Iran, which kind of de degenerated into a lot of chippy tackles and, you know, even dirty, I thought he played very well. Um, he looks like he's on a mission. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's, he's going to have to come up with a very big game against Uruguay. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he can keep it up. Um, in theory, I don't think he can. Like when you look at sort of the facts, I don't think he can. But in practice, I think he has some sort of control over the space-time continuum because it's always he's always there. He's always doing something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That said, um, Cesc Fabregas said, uh, made an observation on the BBC Sport web website specifically in reference to uh, Ronaldo's goals so far in the tournament. I'll just quote him. You have to give him credit, of course, but his goals have come from set pieces, penalties, or mistakes, end quote. I upset someone recently by suggesting exactly this, quoting Sesk and, and, um, and, and suggesting exactly this, because I do think that a goal is a goal, a hat-trick is a hat-trick in terms of points, but I do think that there can be, I think that goals are worth different thing, different amounts, or there's different quality in goals, and I think if Portugal are going to keep relying on these types of goals, it's going to be harder and harder to advance. I mean, I freely recognize that Ronaldo's consistently played for teams that my teams view as rivals, Manchester United, Real Madrid. I freely acknowledge that, but I also, and, I, and he really frustrates me as an opponent, but I think I actually, but I really like him as a person. And, and um, after Spain were knocked out of Euro 2016, I was actually hoping Portugal would win just because I thought he personally deserved it. So I'm just trying to clarify. It's not that I've got anything against Ronaldo. I just think that if you're going to keep relying on your opponents to mess up in things like penalty, you know, for like things like penalties, um, I don't know if that's enough to progress in this competition. But I'd really be interested to hear what you guys have, have to say about the idea that goals are have different quality. Well, I want to respond. I actually think that's great analysis. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more about Ronaldo. I couldn't agree with you more about a team, you know, if they rely on the other team's mistakes. Uh, but, I, you know, a little bit of a, of a rejoinder here. I, I kind of think that might be a little bit of sour grapes by, by Fabregas, you know. I mean, th these are rivalries, you know. I mean, I think that that's actually... That's something I think is admirable about footballers who actually can pounce on the other team's mistakes. And actually, you know, and sometimes, you know, those set pieces, you know, they are part of the game and they are important, right? And there used to be a time in the game where, you know, set pieces were actually seen as a, as, as a goal opportunity. And, uh, you know, now we just, you know, everybody has this kind of oh-hum kind of approach to them, right? Um, but... Yeah, I, 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 that was really, really uh, spot on. I think, you know, the idea that perhaps if you have to wait for your opponents to make mistakes, this this kind of could, you, could bring you into dangerous territory if you're waiting. Because, you know, if you're a well-organized team and you try to limit your, the mistakes, you know, you're not going to give that up. But, you know, when you're, you know, this, this is a cruel game. And... Uh, and Ronaldo can be ruthless, absolutely ruthless. And I think it's a quality that I kind of admire in him. I, one, the fourth goal shouldn't have stood. 
it's a foul by Pepe, who I think is the dirtiest player in the tournament. Yeah. Like, I'm not even going to try and be objective at this point. Like, <laughs> Pepe, Pepe, to me, is the uh, next to Ramos. And you know what? We can pick on Real Madrid because it's okay. None of us like them. Uh, <laughs> the two of them together have to be two of the dirtiest players we have seen over the last 10 years. And they get away with it consistently. Um and this is because they expect, like, Julian Knight spoke about this at great lengths, and it's because when you play for a club like Real Madrid, you expect to get away with these things, and you do get away with these things. And VAR was supposed to correct it, and it didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, just uh, one little thing. Barry Glendening from The Guardian has a great term for these guys. He calls them the bastards of the tournament. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I like that he you know he refers to as what is it? Uh, this year's bastards are uh, Costa from uh, Spain, uh, Pepe, and uh, Sergio Ramos. And uh, but he says that Pepe is in a kind of a league of his own when it comes to being a bastard. So <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> right. So we're going to move on to Group C next um, with. Uh, Everyone's oh god, I can't even say anything nice about them. France, who yeah. won the group, uh, Denmark finishing second, um, Peru ended up finishing third, and Australia yeah, yeah. and third. Australia yeah. lost that group. Yeah, um, which is disappointing because sometimes I wish that that had been flipped and the, those bottom two teams had gone through. But I think sometimes we feel like that about most groups. Uh, Bridget, I'll go to you first again, if you don't mind. Okay, and I'm going to start with another caveat about this group because I know I'm not going to be objective. I personally have a deep affection for Denmark as a country because of the tenacity of the Danish resistance during the Second World War and because they legalized same-sex marriage in 1989. I know these things have nothing to do with football, but it's a national competition and the teams are competing as representatives of their countries. So I, that's always in the back of my mind. Um, the FIFA rankings for this group are pretty tight. But I, when I was making my predictions, I noticed that since October, um, Denmark had risen several places while Peru had fallen. And so to me, this signaled that Denmark were steadily gaining strength and were likely to overtake Peru. So my prediction in this group was France at the top and Denmark in second. I expected that it would come down to style of play, whether Denmark or Peru could more successfully influence how their matches were played. Denmark had, in my opinion, stronger defense. Um, I really put a lot of stock in defenders, and if you'll permit me a sort of extended metaphor, um, I think that if a football team is a band, defenders are the bassists, <laughs> midfielders are rhythm guitar, forwards are the front men, awesome. the guitar, that sort of thing, and the keepers are the drummers. The thing is, you'd notice if there's no drummer, and you'd notice if there was no singer. Bassists are fundamental to a band's sound, but they're almost invisible to everyone except other bassists. Awesome. And occasionally you get a Sergio Ramos or a Jack Bruce where you can't ignore them. <laughs> um, and they're inclined to stretch out beyond their traditional place. But I think defenders are fundamental just as bassists are. Like, if you listen to a song that has a really good bass line, you may not understand why it's so good. But it is because of the bass line. Now... I have to say, full disclosure, the last band I was in, I played bass, and the last time I was on a football team, I played right back, so I might be biased on that, too. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> um, in this group, um, this was the first VAR penalty kick in the France-Australia match, and to me, it, that, it was a really strong argument against the technology. I know we're kind of divided on that in this conversation. Um, 
I recently got into a fairly heated argument with an acquaintance about VAR. Um, he believed that so that uh, because so many people are investing so much in each match, every attempt had to be made to make it as fair as possible. And now, in principle, I agree with this idea of fairness. Um, but as Steve, you pointed out earlier, um, there's so many things that like it, it, the fairness is almost an illusion because there's so many things about tournaments like this that aren't fair to begin with. Um, like for example, I remember I can't okay I can't remember if it was 2014 World Cup or if it was the Copa America, but um, there was a Latin American team who had just lost their best striker the previous year to appendicitis, and I would propose that if said striker had been in another country that had better access to healthcare, he might not have died. <laughs> I mean I don't know the specifics of the situation, but that's an example of how fairness. Like there, there, there is an unfairness in the tournament that cannot be eradicated by VAR. Right. Well done. You know. So, yeah. So I mean, I have lots of things to say about VAR. Like I think there's something about something like you know in physics the observer effect, where if you're measuring a phenomenon, you alter it. So for example, if you're measuring yeah. a t the temperature of a substance, unless the thermometer is already the same temperature as the substance, it will change the temperature of the substance. You kind of get a good read on it. And I think VAR has a bit of a similar effect. So like, I'm virtually certain that there are, there are players behaving differently because they're under more exact scrutiny. And that stoppage for VAR is altering the atmosphere on the pitch. And I saw this particularly in the France-Australia match because there was a palpable shift in the tone of the match after Griezmann's goal. Like any kind of surveillance, it's not. It isn't going to alter the behavior of those it's designed to catch. You could you could have a really upstanding player who is choosing not to take risks for fear of how they will read on screen, and players who are committed to dirty play may find other ways of doing so. So, anyways, I mean, yes, we're divided on the VAR issue, but that's where I stand. I once again, I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, just to kind of. Uh... Uh, add something more to this is, I you know, VAR seems to kind of be brought in to eradicate the diving in particular, or to kind of take a closer look at the diving. That's one of the components of of the reasons why it's brought in. And I would argue that that now that players know there's all sorts of cameras and there's probably a kind of almost a, a sort of an appeal system in place, right? I think it's actually a, increase the level of diving and uh, the theatrics and the kind of, uh, shall we say, cunning moves of certain players, right? And uh, uh, rather than, like, you know, diminishing the effect of diving, I actually think it'll increase it. Uh, I, I think that was uh, really well, really well put. And yes, and the, the momentum uh, shifts all the time. The Argentina game uh, was an example of this. The Argentina-Nigeria uh, game. But we will, we will, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, I want to go back to the group myself. Uh, again, this is what I kind of expected. Uh, my heart and head were with Peru. Uh, I, I picked Peru to be the, the, the revelation of the tournament. I, not that I think that they, they were going to win the tournament, but I actually thought that you know they, they could potentially make it to the quarterfinals. I feel they came very close. They played some of the most attractive football, but for some reason they had a very, very difficult time finishing in the final third or the final quarter of the pitch. And luck really was not on their side, but in this sport you have to make your own luck. And they couldn't quite do that. Um, I truly hope that Peru stays uh, uh, on this trajectory in terms of their international football. Uh, the world of football needs more of the so-called minnows entering 
the, the, the club of uh, the champions, so to speak. And, you know, the established powers should suffer. Uh, France just does not impress me at all. Uh, they have a great side with incredible talent, but they simply cannot play fluidly. And I think the number one problem seems to be tactics. They seem to have a real problem, which has always reinforced my low opinion of Didier Deschamps. And I believe I'm actually beginning to see what Mourinho's general antipathy towards Paul Pogba is. Okay? Um, he just, the, the, the man has got it all, but he just does not seem to want to perform or give that little bit of extra, you know. Um, Denmark, well, uh, I don't see anything special here. Uh, yes, they have Ericsson, but quite frankly, you know, their performances have been rather benign. Uh, they did what they needed to do and they got through, right? The Aussies, well, once again, shout out to my friend Frank Neshi and Federico Fuentes from Australia, who's probably listening to this pod. I feel for you guys. Um, but they didn't, they didn't do what they needed to get through. Um, you know, uh, I have great respect for how they played, but they just seem to be a mark below the next level. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I was, I was actually rather disappointed for the Australians. I think their problems began before the tournament started. Um, like I said in the previous podcast, there were players that should have been brought uh, instead. Uh, and I, I don't remember if it was uh, Federico or Frank that brought up that uh, if you're relying on Tim Cahill to score your goals, uh, you're not going through to the next round of yeah, the World Cup, yeah. um, which totally agree. Uh, Peru, you're right. Uh, some of the most uh, attractive soccer, although their striker looks like he'd stab you. Oh, he, like he, he, I think he stabbed a few people. Like He looks like he could... Uh, he, yeah, I'm glad, but I'm glad he got to play in the tournament. I so think it was... I, it was it was uh, a great show of the relationships that are developed in football and through sport that the captains of the other teams fought for him to be able to play at the tournament and worker solidarity, you know. No, uh, glad to see another Schmeichel leading Denmark into <laughs> into the knockout stages of an international tournament. Uh, who actually they actually broke the record for uh, Den- uh, Denmark broke their own record for uh, time without uh, a goal being scored from the uh, all the way from qualifying into the tournament. So that was rather impressive to watch, and they're super defensive, yeah. which means I think they're going to do well in the next round, but we will talk about that after. Yeah. And lastly, to me, France is the new Belgium. And, and Belgium is the new France. And Belgium is the new France. We'll get into what I mean by that yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit further. But what I mean for France becoming the new Belgium is that Oh, so great on paper, but they can't put it together. At all. They, they just cannot put it together, and I agree with you. Deschamps, he must be just like expecting to be fired at the end of this tournament I now that so. Zidane's out of a job. Yeah. Um, which leads me to my question. Uh, if Deschamps cannot beat this Argentine squad in the next round, uh, does he get fired and does Zidane replace him? Well, I have to say up front that I don't know enough about Deschamps to comment specifically on how his managerial style has impacted France's performance, but I'm consistently troubled by how quickly managers are thrown out when teams lose. I know that they have, they do have a big impact. We saw that with Del Bosque and Spain, but I also think they're sometimes scapegoated when events don't come together perfectly. Yeah, um, I'm going to say this. Um, if I was the French FA, 
Okay, but I have a real general antipathy towards Deschamps. First of all, he was a Juventus player at a time where, where Juventus was called the pharmacy. Uh, and uh, he was also, what you need to know, Bridget, about him, he was your classic water carrier. Eric Cantona once basically referred to him as the classic water carrier. Uh, I don't have much respect for the guy uh, as a footballer. And I think he, he's actually ridden the coattails of some real great players. And if I was the French FA, uh, the minute Zidane left, uh, had left uh, Real Madrid or FC Franco, I would have I would have fired Deschamps and put him and put Z if, Zidane in that place. If Spain can do it, then yeah, then why not? It certainly well can do it. Make, yeah, make that change. Um, hmm. Well, like I say, I, I don't know my, I don't know enough about him to comment on it. It's just you know, kind of a bee in my bonnet. <laughs> okay, yeah. and I agree. Um, to, to what you said about managers, managers are fired very, very quickly in today's game. And players can't be. And and that's that like as much as I'm about worker solid like there has to be worker solidarity on both sides. Just because just because you're called the manager, you're not you're not the manager. Here, here. You're like the lumpen proletariat yeah, yeah, at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then before we go to break, we're just gonna head to one more group, group D. Uh, for devastatingly disappointment, um, uh, at least in one or two of these teams' uh, options. So we had Croatia winning the group, which, again, devastatingly disappointing. Argentina barely squeaking through. Uh, and uh, Iceland and Nigeria bringing up uh, the teams that did not get through. Bridget, I'll go to you first. Devastatingly disappointing, but entertaining. <laughs> That's, um, yeah. yeah, perfect. So my caveat for this group is I have an unreasonable affection for and attachment to Javier Mascherano. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling this to someone during the Nigeria-Argentina match and kind of saying I didn't understand fully why I felt this way. And then he spent the second half bleeding profusely and chasing after the ref and shouting, and I realized that was why. <laughs> well, I remember you posting on social media, will somebody put a bandage on Mascherano's head, please? Yeah, but I just... I, I just love the image of him. I just I love the, his tenacity. You know, I watch football because of the drama. Okay, regarding um, predictions, this is literally what I wrote in my notebook. Quote: Argentina will advance almost certainly. <laughs> the battle will be between Iceland and Croatia. End quote. So you can laugh if you want. Um, I thought it was going to be Argentina at the top of the group easily and Croatia in second. And I think I just underestimated everyone in the group except for Argentina, who I overestimated. And I, I mean, as it, as it progressed, I have all sorts of shifting emotions regarding the group. Uh, conceptually, I love Iceland for all the reasons everyone loves them. They're, hard, they're a hardworking team from a sparsely populated subarctic country accomplishing something unexpected merely by qualifying. They have good-natured fans and their players have honorable sportsmanlike behavior. And this, I mean, this isn't even the main thing for their manager, who's a working dentist, and one of their goalkeepers is a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. It gives me hope that one day an obstetrician from Sarnia will lead a team captained by a Kelowna-based arts reporter to the World Cup. <laughs> but I don't really have much comment apart from that. I wish them well. It was nice to see them. Excellent. Watching Croatia, I realized a little bit that this might be how I would build a team with, the, like, you know, it's also how I play chess, which is why my sister won't play with me anymore. Um, they showed a very solid support structure. Their midfield is full of strong players at strong clubs in strong leagues. They have Lovren, who's at Liverpool, and Brasalco, who's at Atleti in defense. And then this was in comparison to Argentina, 
who emphasize they're attacking players. I was reading that Sampaoli's approach with Argentina is, quote, you pick players to attack and shape them to defend, end quote. So it seems to me like the emphasis at the outset for Argentina was to push forward and score and just hope that all the action stayed in or close to their opponent's end. Uh, in the end, this didn't really work. Um, I read an analysis in the New Yorker last week that argued that Argentina's forwards were simply not powerful enough to make this happen against Croatia. If you'll let me use the military terminology, I think Croatia have a phalanx, while Argentina have berserkers. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Um, excellent. Um, I, I, I have to confess, first of all, from the top off, that I have great affection for all things from the Rio Platense, meaning both from Uruguay and Montevideo and Argentina and Buenos Aires. So uh, my emotions... I, I'm emotionally invested in Argentina. I, I said, okay. Well, you couldn't be emotionally invested in Italy this year, so well, you had to pick a different country but, to be emotionally invested to. Dare I say it? No, I won't. I was I was about to say that Argentinians actually are Italians who just speak Spanish. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get mail and something to that effect. But anyways, um, before I mean uh, this, I'm going to say a few things that are contentious and perhaps maybe controversial, but I feel like they have to be put on the table. Uh, so I'll just get it out. The, the, the only way I can describe this group is chaotic. And it really surprised me. And, and, and I think it should be pointed out that football is not a meritocracy. Okay? And, and I think that this, this should reveal that. Uh, the, actually, the way this group kind of played out. Um, based on their performance, it's quite astonishing that Argentina made it out of this group at all. Okay? They are, have been simply awful. They seem to have no plan. Players are underperforming. There is too much pressure placed on, on Messi, and I think it's actually beginning to take a toll on him. Um, I would even go so far to say, and I know this is one, this is one of the contentious things out there, is I think we're beginning to see the beginning of Messi's decline, uh, especially when you kind of take into consideration how poorly run Barcelona FC is these days. Um, Mascarano... Loved him as a player when he was at his prime, but I, I think he's kind of slipped past his due date. Um, and aside from Ever Banega, uh, we've really seen nothing positive here. Um, all of this being said, I would not be surprised if Argentina respond positively to this crisis and begin an epic run. Um, I've seen this happen before with many other countries. The, the best example uh, of this is perhaps uh, Italy in 1982. They failed, to w they failed to win one match in the group stage in 1982 and then went on an epic run where they knocked off Argentina, uh, Tele Santana's Brazil, and then beat Germany in the final. Uh, and, you know... Uh, you know, this, this is, uh, this, this, these things can happen. Croatia is playing some marvelous football, uh, and, uh, and, and we see their quality. Uh, but this is, this is another team I think that could easily make the final four. Uh, they play well as a team. They're well organized. They defend well. They have many lethal options in attack. Uh, if they can keep this form, I think they'll succeed. Uh, I just want to say with a little bit of note, it was shameful to see, uh, uh, the Croatian supporters giving the, the Nazi salute um, really disappointed me and, and just really kind of turned my stomach. Um, that's another contentious thing. Um, Iceland uh, was indeed a wonderful team to watch. Very humble, and they played very, very well, causing all sorts of problems for their opposition. Unfortunately, 
like like Egypt and all the other and Morocco and Iran, they had great difficulty finishing in the final third of the pitch. Uh, I would like to score uh, 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 to kind of actually give uh, you know make a point or underscore that I- Iceland's development of footballers should be the model for the world. Iceland is proof that if you have a system, uh, you will develop a great squad. Somebody was reading uh, Frederick Least's work on national systems of innovation, if you ask me. Um, uh, Nigeria, well, I'm really disappointed for them. You can see this team as the quality, but once again, they just don't have that push in that final third of the pitch that is required to win matches and go on to the other round. And Steve, I must say, uh, you were correct in your synopsis uh, in our last part of this squad. They have a great core of players. They have depth and to be required uh, to be great. They're also very young. And I, too, also hope that they remain on this trajectory because if they do so, I think we'll be hearing from them again very soon. Yeah, I don't. I really was at a loss for words um, after the Croatia-Argentina match. Um, and and really could not figure out what to say here. This has been something that's kind of been on my mind for for some time. Uh, I guess the first thing I'm going to say is Marcus Rojo, a defender for Manchester United, yeah, 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 is a better striker than Gonzalo Higuain will ever be in his life. Well, on that one, I agree with you. Uh, they should they should switch it up. Just Rojo can play <laughs> as the striker, and Higuain can just go home to Argentina. Uh, because, let's face it, he probably can't defend either. Um, you know what, I shouldn't, I shouldn't rag on him that much, because he was chasing down every ball in that Nigeria game and yeah. was fighting Forever. tooth and nail. So I do have to give him some credit. But again, a striker's job is to finish, and he could not. Um, to me, uh, Nigeria was, was held back by their manager. Uh, Interesting. It was they they played a very continental European, a very German style of football, and uh, as we will discuss later on, that German style of football uh, was most definitely outdated for this uh, for this tournament. Iceland, uh, I can't agree more with what you both said about Iceland. It's always great to watch uh, watch a team like this come through in a World Cup. Uh, they remind me so much of Ireland and their fans at uh, USA 94. Um, just what uh, what great fans. And they create such a safe and inviting atmosphere for just people who are not supporting a country but just want to enjoy football and just have the love for, uh, for the game. I have nothing I want to say about Croatia because there's nothing nice to say about Croatia. Here, here. Um, just, I'm going to get too angry, and it's too hot out to be angry right now to <laughs> to talk uh, to talk about Croatia. I'll talk about Croatia later uh, when we discuss uh, how they're going to lose to Denmark in in the next round. Okay, cool. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we return, uh, part two, groups E through H, um, and we will be right back. Okay, we are back with part two of Bella Goodman's Curse. Uh, with, uh, we're going to start here with Group E. Uh, Serbia, Brazil, uh, Costa Rica, and Switzerland. Julian, I'm going to go to you first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
uh, I, I might upset a few people. Uh, Brazil just has not impressed me. Has just not impressed me. Uh, on paper, this is a world-class side, and uh, we have certainly seen uh, some some world uh, uh, some great football on their behalf. Very efficient, very clinical, but they haven't been world-class performances. Um, they're not as bad as France. And but I have this sneaky suspicion that Brazil is playing possum, and essentially saving themselves for the knockout stage. Um, now this wouldn't be the first time national squads have employed this kind of strategy. It's very risky, and I'm not sure it's actually a smart thing to do. Uh, uh, I think we have to be honest with ourselves, though. If this squad kicks into gear, they will be a force of nature. Uh, but based on what we have seen from them, they seem very stiff. They, they don't seem very motivated. Uh, Switzerland uh, has impressed me quite a, quite a bit. Uh, they have played some very organized, uh, and despite the Albanian solidarity salute, they seem to be very disciplined and focused. Um, I believe that, quite frankly, they have met their expectations, and uh, they have met you know, the, their own expectations. Serbia, I thought, especially after their first match, would have done better. I really like this side in terms of their starting 11. I think they have, uh, you know, uh, uh, on paper, just as good a side as any uh, in, in the, uh, the top notch of the World uh, uh, in this World Cup. Um, uh, I believe their trip, uh, or their, you know, the, the, the trip up took place against Switzerland. Yes, they were unlucky, uh, but at this level, you must thread the needle. You must take advantage of when your opportunities to score are there, and uh, they, simply, they simply didn't do that. Costa Rica, I'm just disappointed, uh, uh, especially uh, their performance uh, of Brazil. Maybe I'm a little bit spoiled because they were the revelation of the, of the 2014 tournament in, in uh, Brazil, and I just uh, I was kind of expecting the same thing. I would agree. Uh, Bridget, what did you think about this group? Uh, well, my predictions for this group were that Brazil and Switzerland would advance, with Brazil at the top and Switzerland below them. Turns out I was right, but honestly, at the start of the Group E matches on Wednesday night, I had no idea what was going to happen. The one of the things, this isn't a tactic discussion, but one of the things that really struck me with this group is that Serbia, Costa Rica, and Switzerland were in general discussed as teams, but um, there were individual players at Brazil that got attention. Whether this is deserved or customary, I don't know. Um, I do like, I do know that I like to watch individual players interact, and that's a big part of enjoying the game for me. For example, um, do they play for rival clubs? Do they play for the same club abroad? Are they facing an opponent's, uh, as an opponent, someone they would consider a friend in another context? I know tactics are important, but footballers are not chess pieces. Um, there's this great anecdote in Soccernomics by Simon Cooper and Stefan Szymanski about the 2006 World Cup quarterfinals between Germany and Argentina. As I'm sure you guys know, the game was decided on a penalty shootout, and the German keeper, Jens Lehmann, had a statistical breakdown of the most likely shots by the most likely Argentina penalty takers written on a piece of paper shoved down into his sock. Everyone saw him consulting it and succeeding, but it turned out that he didn't have any information on Esteban Cambiaso. Is my pronunciation on that correct? That's right, yep. Okay, um, who was stepping up for the fourth penalty. Um, Lehman appeared to be reading his notes, and just this little bit of uncertainty threw Cambiasso off. So Cooper and Szymanski show, um, show that how the data approach worked, but what I get from this is that so much depends on the human aspect of the matches. It depends on the players themselves and the situations that those individual players are in. Now, that 
depending on the players doesn't necessarily mean the big names. Like I said, I like defenders and midfielders, and I kind of need stars to prove themselves to me. I mean, that that said, I was impressed by Neymar from time to time. In fact, after a particularly elegant slice through the Serbian midfield and defense, I said to my husband, I wish Spain had one of those, but I don't think he is the team. There was an interesting article this week in The New Yorker by Clint Smith where he praised Coutinho over Neymar as essentially Brazil's hope. And I did find myself being convinced what, reading it. Um, uh, Smith observed on a recent visit to Sao Paulo that Neymar is considered by many Brazilians to be the deciding factor on whether the team succeeds or not. But he argues that Coutinho has been far more instrumental in Brazil's campaign so far, both in terms of scoring and in terms of supporting others. But for the sake of depth, I'm going to take as an example of what I think is important in a team, I'm going to take Felipe Luis, <laughs> who plays for Atletico, uh, Atletico Madrid. And um, I noticed when he came on for Marcelo against Serbia, he just stood his ground and did his job with a kind of beautiful lack of finesse, despite having broken his leg in May. And I've watched him play a lot. And my sister and I have a joke that he's he's made to suffer because he so often gets hurt just doing what he's supposed to do. It's like he has no sense of self-preservation. And he's not spectacular like Neymar or Coutinho. And I don't think Brazil's fortunes rest on his shoulders. But I think it's actually players like this who become the deciding factor in many cases. Yeah. I mean, I think you need the Felipe Luises in order to, for the Neymars to succeed. Yes. 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 Um... You guys are homers, boy. You, you got, you're given a chance to speak about Manchester United and Atletico Madrid. Maybe it's because I got nothing to speak about these these days with the, with AC Milan being such a such a shit house team, you know. Adrian Adrian Silva has made one substitute appearance in this tournament. Uh, oh wait, Kramerich Kramerich has appeared a couple of times, yeah. but he's leaving. He's not even welcome at Milan anymore. And, and, so. and then they sent Kalinic home. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Croatia sent Kalinic home too. So yeah. really, nobody wants anybody playing from Italy at yeah. this tournament. No, nobody wants anything to do with AC Milan. Never mind. Uh, this is the worst Brazilian team I have ever seen. <laughs> like, I haven't seen many World Cups, but I've seen enough of them, and I've seen Brazil play in enough, uh, enough tournament play to know that this is the worst Brazilian team I have ever seen. Uh, Neymar and Willian look like they should be playing in a, like a schoolyard team. Like, they... The team looks when 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 Neymar comes out and you put in Bobby Firmino and you put Douglas Costa in for William. I think yeah, you got a different team. The ball moves so quickly and with the with the samba beat and the samba flair that Brazilian football is so well known for. Um, I actually thought they were going to have troubles if Marcelo is hurt badly, but Bridget, you're right. Uh, I discounted Felipe Luis maybe a little too much, um, having played as a as a right back as well growing up, uh, and knowing that it's uh, it's for some defenders it's duty before beauty. Um, mm. Felipe Luis definitely kind of exemplifies that that duty uh, to the team. Um, I'm I'm disappointed for Ser it's difficult to say this. But I'm dif I'm disappointed for Serbia. Uh, it, you don't hear that no, much often. No. <laughs> there, they have a lot of great. Like there are, like like you said, there are a lot of really good players in the team that that probably should go. Uh, that that could have gone really far. Uh, 
Costa Rica played very well at the last World Cup. Expectations were high. Um, but honestly, I think they were just against three really terrible teams in the last tournament. Yeah. Like, let's be, let's be real. England England was awful. Italy was awful. And Uruguay was okay enough to qualify because yeah. the other two teams were just really bad. Exactly. Uh, Switzerland did exactly what, what I expected. I think we all agreed that probably Brazil and Switzerland were going to be the two teams to go through here. Um, and I totally... Uh, I disagree with Julian. I think the Albanian... Uh, the Albanian eagle celebration was uh, was provocative, but sometimes you need a little bit of that element uh, in the game. Uh, sports are inherently personal and inherently political, uh, and you can't take you cannot take all of that out of. No, I I agree, but I think it, I no I agree, and, and you know I mean this all goes back to the you know the Tommy John uh, sorry uh, John Carlos and. Uh, I have the, the second name escapes me at the moment. Uh, a salute at the at the '68 Olympics in in in, in Mexico City, and and yes, these things are of great importance. But I think it was kind of stupid. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's not like they were playing for the Albanian team. It's not like they were playing for uh, Kosovo, which also has a has a team. They were playing for Switzerland, and you know, I mean, it was truly there to kind of provoke tensions that could really get really ugly. And they could have gotten suspended, which could have cost Switzerland their place in the qualifying at the end. Just two of their star players. Yeah, could have been. Yeah. Uh, my question for the group um, right now is: uh, Is Brazil for real? Uh, are they playing possum, or are they just maybe not? Uh, you know, they're not as good as we uh, as we and a lot, well, many pundits thought that they would be the team to beat in this tournament. Well, we're gonna find out real soon. Um, that's one thing. Um, that's a, it's a good question. It's a really good question because, I mean, you see the moments, right? You see, you know, everybody who, you know, when Paulinho was taken back from the Chinese Super League back to Barcelona, people scoffed at this. And, you know, he came out being an incredible part of Barcelona's season. And he's been fantastic, I think, at his, at his job in Brazil. This team has got the tools. I mean, Fernandinho, Douglas Costa. I mean, you know, Firmino. They, they, they can't. It's there's just something about them. They, like, they just seem to be out there on a stroll. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm waiting for them to answer some serious questions. And I think, you know, you know, when it comes to the next round, that's going to happen. You know, we're gonna, we're going to see what they're made of. Yeah, I don't know. And the question is Brazil for real. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, maybe it's my my lack of experience playing or my lack of. I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm still relatively new to even um, being a spectator on um, in the game. So I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know if I have enough information at this stage. Well, your, your synopsis was wonderful about you know the the role players, right? Like the Felipe Luises and. I mean, they, they seem to be short on those guys right now and more heavier on, on the Neymars, right, you know? But I would agree. To me, th this team goes as Coutinho goes right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's a good, good point to underscore. And it was Bridget's point that, yeah. uh, about that the New Yorker article, or the New York Times article, yeah. Um, on to Group F, uh, which uh, is pretty much group expletive um, because... Uh, what? Like, there's, 
there is just uh, there. Is, oh man, I, I am so so confused. Uh, admittedly, I picked Germany to win this tournament, so clearly I was wrong, and I just I I lost. I, I definitely lost with my bracket. Uh, Bridget, I'll go to you first. My thoughts. Madness. It's all exhilarating madness. My prediction for this group was Germany would top the group and Mexico would also advance. I didn't take into account the curse. Have you guys heard of this? It's apparently a new thing. My husband mentioned it to me a while ago and I read a bit about it last week. It's the curse that if you win a World Cup, you won't make it to the round of 16 in the next World Cup. Yeah. So it's France in 2002, Italy in 2010, and Spain in 2014. So maybe, maybe I don't know if there's any truth to that. As I said, I'm superstitious. Um, I also, I have German heritage, but the only sports team my grandma ever cared about was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, so I don't actually <laughs> feel bad for being delighted that Germany had failed to advance. In this group, I was supporting Mexico, partly because I'm from North America and they're the only North American team in the tournament, and partly because I thought they were best placed to knock Germany out. <laughs> Uh, when I drew up my bracket, I tried to predict all the way to the final and eventually concluded that it would be Brazil and Germany in the final after a German defeat of Spain. Though, as I said, I'm skeptical of, I'm, I'm skeptical of prediction in football. And against my own predictions, I was desperately hoping Germany would succumb to this new curse and crash out in the group stages. I watched the first half of the Mexico-Sweden match and the second half of the Germany-South Korea match. And I think I made the right decision there. <laughs> um, one of the insights I got from this group was that was what motivates a team in their final match in the group stage when they know they're not advancing. And last last World Cup, Spain's final group match was excruciating. Um, but watching South Korea celebrate their goals, I totally understood because it was they knew they were part of this historical moment and they were uh, they were winning against Germany, the winners of the previous World Cup. Um, so I mean, their team will probably be mentioned consistently for as long as there's a Germany and a World Cup. So what's my point? I guess I guess my point is that my predictions were wrong, and I'm pretty okay with that. And this group taught me another way to watch a match. I think your 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 spot on, especially. I think it's it. I, I love that you brought up the, the like the South Korea jubilance. I think part of it was they may not have been super sure that Sweden was beating Mexico because Mexico might have been able to do them a favor and get them into the tournament. But uh, I still think they definitely felt that point. Like uh, it, it doesn't come along very often that you get to beat uh, a World Cup champion, and mm -hmm. even less so that you're beating the Germans. Um, so it's, uh, it must have been strongly felt for them. Well, 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 you know, I mean, actually, I mean, holy shit. Uh, okay, Germany loses to Mexico. Not sure you can say that Germany was outclassed in that match, but they reveals uh, some serious vulnerabilities, particularly in counterattack. And, and then there were some serious questions about Lowe's tactics, and Mexico seemed really intelligent enough to exploit this weakness. So big props to Mexico, okay? However, Germany against Sweden. Germany manages to come back after essentially uh, keeping uh, uh, the Swedes... Uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. Germany essentially uh, manages to come back after being kept at bay. And uh, once again, they're exposed as, as being very vulnerable to counterattacks. 
Sweden should have scored two or three goals. Uh, they just seemed a little bit inept on that. Um, terrible officiating. And uh, at this point, again, I'm referring to the, the failure of VAR. Perhaps, again, we can, I, I, in one of our pods, have a very special discussion about this. Um, uh, and they managed to beat Sweden after all of that garbage. Um, you know, and yet all of us, basically, you have to admit that still we believe that this was a blip, you know, and that Germany could still win this tournament, you know. They could still go on and win this tournament. However, against South Korea, it's like they simply forgot how to play football, okay? And I don't, I don't seriously know how to diagnose this. Um, you know, was it poor performance and form generally? Was it low tactics? Uh, there has been this uh, ongoing discussion that there's a rift in the, in, the, in, the, in the change room. Apparently, there's one group, you're going to love this, they're called the Bling Bling Boys. That's, yeah, this is hilarious. This is what they're referred to in the German press as the Bling Bling Boys, which is Ozil and Kadira are the ringleaders, and they're against the Bayern Boys, right? And apparently the Bing, the Bling Bling Boys seem to be annoyed with the Bayern Boys for not putting pressure on uh, Lowe for taking Leroy Sané, who is also apparently a Bling Bling Boy, to Russia. Uh, nonetheless, uh, who knows? Uh, the end product is that Germany is out, and this is absolutely startling. As for Mexico, a great two matches, some very exciting football, and to be honest, what I expected, right down, right down to the implosion against Sweden. Uh, I, I, I'd like to, to note that I think that Mexico made a mistake by fielding uh, a largely second team. Uh, I'm a big believer that momentum has to be maintained in that third game. And by Mexico fielding a lot of second team players to rest their first team players, this not all uh, this not only proved to be almost disastrous, but it, it might have really taken away some of their momentum. I think Sweden has been a surprise in spite of some of the most turgid football in the tournament, especially their performance against Germany. But nonetheless, congratulations on on, on defying the experts and getting to the next round. And thank you for demonstrating the importance of organized defense because. You know, not only is this game about scoring goals, it's about defending against the goal. South Korea, I don't know. Uh, I, I really didn't find them to be notable at all, despite dropping uh, or you know, drop-kicking Germany out of the tournament. Uh, based on their performances against Mexico and Sweden, I thought that they were among one of the worst teams in the tournament. I would even argue that Germany played so bad Okay, that uh, they gifted them the match uh, rather than putting a great performance to dethrone the defending champions. I mean, you have to check. The goals were scored in injury time. So, you know, that's, that, that, that's my synopsis but, of this. But like, we've talked about this for years and argued about this fact over years. Germans don't train to play 90 minutes. They, yep. they train to play... 200. Exactly. So this idea of lapse of concentration or that they, they handed the South Koreans the game. No, the South Koreans earned the result. Uh, regardless, like, it, it, you still have to win the game. You still have yeah. to put the ball in the net. True, true. Uh, when Germany loses, football wins. <laughs> uh, and especially when Mexico beat Germany 1-0. So uh, you said that the 3-3 result between Portugal... And Spain was your favorite match of the tournament so far. The 1-0 Mexico over Germany, uh, very easily my favorite uh, match so far. Uh, excellent, excellent, excellent display of counter-attacking football. 
by the Mexicans uh, and just and attack. Like and and they and they defended from the front as well. They pressured yeah, yeah. the Germans into making these mistakes. It wasn't just that the Germans made mistakes; the Mexicans forced these mistakes, and then they were able to still defend at the end of the game. The Germans pushed hard for a goal. It didn't come. Achoa. Uh, I don't know why people are still surprised by this guy. Like every international oh, tournament that yeah, comes around, he's been amazing. He just. And he, and he and he's and he can't get on a major club, which is so surprising. Do you know where he is right now? Los Palmas. Where? Uh, last I heard, and you might be right, but I thought he was at Standard Liège in Belgium. No, I think he. he Did I he end yeah, up getting he, to Los Palmas? Yeah. Los Palmas, yeah. Okay. Um, who would have thought Sweden? Like maybe the Italian. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm. Well, we have, we have. We have a little bit of experience with Sweden uh, uh, taking the piss out of out of a team. Like I'm. I'm. I'm ripping on you on you hard right now. But Sweden. It's, it's, Sweden. Sweden has now knocked out two previous World Cup winners. Yeah. Uh, from participating in in this World Cup, uh, maybe it's time that we start taking them a little more seriously. Uh, Mr. Ego himself, Zlatan, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, must be just so disappointed seething. not to. He must be, be just seething. I can only imagine how angry he is not being part of this team. Right well, apparently now. he's been highly, highly, highly critical of this team and still continues to, to do so even though that they've qualified. Yeah. Uh, point about the Germans. Okay. They created the most chances of any team in this tournament. 57 chances within three games. <laughs> well, that just makes it just so much better. The second place team uh, with the most chances is the Mexicans. Yeah. 37 chances. Cool. So the Germans had 20 more chances than every other, at least 20 more chances than every other team in their group. And they still couldn't do it. And they scored, what, two two goals? Two goals. Three goals. No. Two, two goals, goals. Two and goals. and one was on a free yeah. kick at the yeah. end of the game. Yeah, good for you. And which on a call that should have never happened. Yeah, uh, I just also uh, something that I want to bring up, and we I think for the most part this tournament we had been fairly lucky to avoid um, issues of racism. We've had little spot yeah. issues here and there, um, but I think all three of us would take a definitive stand against what Dermaz of uh, Sweden has had to Absolutely. face. Absolutely. Just over over the last uh, couple weeks, abominable. Like yeah, Sweden probably deserved to lose that game anyway. A free kick at the end of the game yeah. should not have been the deciding factor. Sure, uh, a good win for South Korea in the end. They're still young. Uh, they they've got they've got really good talent playing on some some very good teams in Europe. Uh, I don't think that this was. Uh, I don't think this is the last that we'll see of of this South Korean team. But my question for everybody. Uh, where does like Germany, um, like where do they go? Like what what happens next for Germany? Julian, so I'm gonna go to Julian first, just because you know uh, Italy has to go through this revitalization period now, uh, and there are so many Italians in this group that I'm going to get so much hate after after this uh, after this podcast comes out. But uh, considering the the route that Italy is taking to uh, revitalize their team, uh, what do you think the Germans have to do? Well, uh, where do they go from here? 
Well, they go to holiday on uh, in Ibiza. Yeah, the bling boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, bling, the, bling, bling boys. the bling bling boys go for holidays and some hot... I don't know. Uh, I don't think they have to go anywhere, to be honest with you. I think uh, all the, the tools are there. I mean, this this the, the, the German national team could produce three national teams in terms of the talent that they have, easily. I mean, they could send 60 players, uh, if you ask me. And they, the third team might not be as strong as the first, but they have that kind of depth. And uh, low, I, I, I don't think, I, I, I think that there was problems. I think we'll find out later. Um, I think the, 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 you know, they, they will, they don't have very far to go. There's much, they're, 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 they're going to be fine. Bert, did you have any thoughts about uh, what Germany might have to do to improve for the future? Um, well, teams are cyclical and I do have a lot of sympathy for Germany supporters right now because as a Spain supporter this is the sort of the position that I was in four years ago. Oh, you're so um, kind. <laughs> you're, you're a good football fan Bridget. Steve and I you know like you know we would be on the opposite because it happens to us good that it happened to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha I do have to say that I'm working at the sympathy. Because I didn't get much sympathy from German supporters when Spain uh, fell out uh, of the 2014 World Cup. I didn't get much sympathy from others, so I'm working on it. Um, I think we'll just have to see how everything plays out. And it may be something as small as waiting for the new crop of players to find their footing. Brazilians must love this right now. Oh, more than they must be enjoying totally. This is the sweetest thing for them. Like yeah. what? Schadenfreude. Like we're with that. that yeah. after, just after that seven-one shellacking. In, no, exactly. In their yeah. home tournament, um, I think Luva stays on. Uh, I think I don't. I don't think his team selection was the greatest. I think there were a lot of players that are there that uh, are there on reputation alone. Um, but I, I have to say those players have a reputation for a reason and they were just super, the, the players to me were disappointing more, more than anything. So I think different team selection, uh, in the future and they, they shouldn't have any problems on to group G. Uh, we had, uh, Belgium topping the group today, uh, England in second, uh, Tunisia, third place and Panama. Uh, bringing up uh, last place. Uh, Julian, I'm going to go to you first. Okay, yeah. This, um, I mean, the, the, I didn't really, I've got a lot to say, but I'm going to keep it short, okay? Because, first of all, there's no surprise whatsoever here, right? Uh, and perhaps Tunisia could have performed better, but they didn't. Panada, Panama, I, I mean, I don't want to sound elitist here, but they look like they had no business at this tournament. Uh, sorry, but facts are facts. Um, I want to note that both Belgium and England look very good. Okay, and uh, this is a guy who's always kind of had a bit of a hate on for the English team, and it would not surprise me if either of these teams, or even both of these teams, make it to the semifinals. They are in very good form. They have, to me, what might be the two best natural goal scorers in the world at the moment, in Lukaku and Kane. And uh, they're gelling the squads. And, and I don't think we've seen the best of either of these two uh, teams or squads to come yet. I, I really believe that both Belgium and England could be devastatingly good. Bridget, what do you think? 
back up. Full, full disclosure on this, my husband is English and his dad was semi-professional and had trials back in the day for Southampton. Oh, so they're cool. a very serious football family in many ways. Though my husband didn't play, he's more into, he was a distance runner instead. So I can't be neutral in this group. <laughs> and also, uh, living here as an adult during a World Cup, it's just like I, the information that I get is not going to ever be neutral. So um, that's just my caveat for this group. Um, my experience is that England as a nation are incredibly pessimistic about how their squad will fare during any international competition. Of course, underneath, I think everyone secretly hopes they'll win, but the supporters are sort of protecting their hearts. Um, one of the things that's been talked about a lot with this England squad is that they're a young squad. And Alan Burdick wrote in The New Yorker um, that this means that they're hopeful and optimistic, but in some cases overconfident and prone to small mistakes. I think we saw some of that in the Belgium-England match this evening. Um, I did the math, and the average of the players' ages on the current squad is actually 25.6. And while this does lean on the younger side, um, it's not that much younger than a lot of other England squads or a lot of other competing country squads. So I don't know if age is the factor, but I do think that they are optimistic so far. And I think that'll be a factor as they go on. Um, one of the things that really worried me, I mean, I'm going to bring up VAR again here. Um, one of the things that I, I worried me a little bit in this group was there's quite a lot of physicality. I saw quite a lot of aggression between Tunisia and England and the Panama and England matches. It's the same kind of aggression that I noticed in Morocco and Spain. And by aggression, I mean there's a really rough style of play, rougher than I'm used to watching in La Liga or the Premier League. I've said I'm skeptical of VAR, but if it's going to be used in the game, I, I would really like it to be used as consistently in cases of dangerous play as it is in sort of questions of um, regulation. Um, Harry Kane suffered essentially what looked like an NFL-style tackle on one occasion. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, people have died on the pitch from rough handling. The reason that there's the rule about not kicking a ball out of the hands of a keeper is because uh, because a uh, Sunderland keeper, Jimmy Thorpe, just checking my facts here, in, in 1936 died as a result of rough handling. I mean, this is it's not it's not just like oh people will bump into each other. I think there needs to be more attention paid, paid to this sort of thing. I mean, I'm, the, the refs appear to be cracking down on it a little bit more um, since I first since I first observed this. England's first game I saw, I can't, no, I can't remember who it was they were playing. It was pretty bad during England-Panama. There was quite a lot of uh, physicality like that. Um, but I think if the refs don't set the tone early, there's a real possibility that things will escalate. And I'm worried about head injuries because of what may or may not have happened with Loris Karius in the Champions League final against Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. There's some discussion about whether he had a concussion, and concussion is a serious thing. I, on the stream that we were watching, um, Alan Shearer actually brought this up, the idea about head injuries and concussions, because apparently he's done a documentary about dem dementia and heading the ball. I've seen it. It's very good. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look at it because this is something that I think needs to be treated more seriously. And I mean, in this particular group, um, there was a Moroccan player, Norton Amrabat. Um, there's some. Did he, did he have a concussion? The way he was treated when he went to this when when he went to the sidelines garnered some attention. 
but I hope it starts to get taken more seriously because there's all this research coming out now um, in the U.S. about former American football players and the effects of cumulative brain injuries in sport and so the longer-term effects and the linking to um, um, depression and dementia. So, I mean, that was a major concern in this group, and I saw quite a lot of interactions that concerned me. Um, that's actually something I didn't even think of. That's a really great outlook yeah. on what VAR should be should be used for. Yeah, and, yeah and rather, than, rather than what they're focused on, yeah. Yeah, precisely. Um, I will say that this group is, again, exactly as I expected. Uh, really not much more to, to add on everything other than, you know, I'm going to go back to my previous quote where France is Belgium and now Belgium is France. Yeah. And but by what I mean is Belgium is France. Belgium has a, a very good a very good keeper in Thibaut Courtois. They are hard tackling in the midfield and in, in, in the defense, uh, but also very organized. Uh, in spite of Roberto Martinez, not because of him. Um, and I actually think Thierry Henry, as a coach with this team, <laughs> has had uh, a tremendous impact uh, on, on just the mentality of the players because it's an issue that we've seen with these Belgian teams is that they implode and they don't work together. But you're seeing, to me, you're seeing a very different Hazard De Bruyne and Lukaku at this tournament that we've been, been compared to what we've seen previously, that they are working together, uh, and they could very well take this team uh, right to a final, at least the semifinals. Well, you, 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 you need to clarify that, Henri as the coach of this team. Well, he is the coach, to me, he, he is the assistant coach. In, in name, he is the assistant coach, but like, let's face it, you saw players coming off the pitch today they're not going to talk to Roberto Martinez. They're they're, they're going, going to, to speak with Henri. Yeah. So I think uh, what a coup for a coup for the the Belgian national team to have Henri there. I bet Arsenal wishes that they could find a coach that they would they would they would they would like as much as him. Yeah. Um, but does England like to me? England has to be considered at least one of the five favorites for this tournament now, especially considering the side of the bracket that they're on where they won't face really a, a historically good team um, until Spain in the semifinals. So that leads me to my, my question for you both. Uh, in, in, the, in the great words of, of one of England's most famous World Cup songs, is football coming home? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, possibly, yeah. Um, if if they if they can keep going, I mean, I'm disappointed in their performance today. Uh, I I think they should have gave it a little bit of a little bit of extra. But I mean, it was it was promising to see the way Loftus Cheeks and um, and Fabian Delph played. I I really think those two fellows are fantastic footballers. And, I mean, let's see when they're at full strength. Uh, you know, England has this tendency to forget also how to play football sometimes. You know, they, they go to sleep. Uh, I, but if they can, like, you know, keep going from strength to strength, they seem to be playing like a team. They seem to be, uh, I mean, you know, they, they, they seem to really want to score. I mean, they have played Tunisia. Tunisia shouldn't have been, should not be considered a bit of a pushover. Okay, they played Panama, but they did what was, was, was expected of them and then some. 
So, I mean, again, let, let's see what's going to happen, you know, uh, how they're going to be tested in the next round. I actually can't answer that. Could be coming home. I can't answer that. I don't do predictions, and as I said, I have a very. T- I'm, I'm living in England, and, and my husband's family takes it very seriously. I don't want to alienate anyone. Okay, good for you. Uh, I have. I have actually a few thoughts that I want uh, to put to this without actually answering the question. Um, for the first time uh, that I've ever watched England, they actually look like a team. Uh, a lot of the issues between the relationships of the players, where they just, like Rio Ferdinand has said numerous times, we didn't speak to one another. We had meals with, with our club mates, and we didn't speak to anybody else. Um, that's the first really important thing that I want to note, is they actually look like a team, and that they're having fun with each other. Uh, I think the funniest picture was all of them having the, the unicorn floaty braces in the pool, uh, so they look like they're enjoying themselves, which I think is really important because a lot of the other teams just look stressed. Yeah, totally. Um, the second point that I want to make is that they are playing a distinctly non-English style of football that I don't think we've ever seen English England play, at least not in the last five or six World Cups. Uh, and I think this oh. comes down to one person, and it comes down to the manager and Gareth Southgate. Um, he's letting the players play um and you can see it uh Rio Ferdinand uh along with Lampard and Gerard and I think that was it gave a bit of an interview talking about their time with Robson as the manager versus when Sten Goran Eriksson came in as the manager and how uh English managers would let you free flow and play your game your way but when Sven Goran Eriksson came in and subsequent other managers that were not English, uh, they really tried to force a style of play on the players that did not work for them. And when you look at the players that are playing right now, they they can go long ball, traditional English long ball, kick and hope, but they can play between the lines. Uh, they can they can yeah, run beyond yeah, you. This team can do that for sure. They, they it is it is not just route one. They can go route one football if necessary, but. Uh, they can beat you on the wings. I'm going to give a really big, this this hurts a little bit. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold today, to me, uh, was a shining example of how to play as a wing back. It pains me that he plays for Liverpool. Um, but if you put, I would say, I to me, I would be starting him instead of Trippier and Ashley Young on the other wing because... God, God knows we need more Ashley Young playing for England than, than anything else. But they've been a very good team, exciting to watch. Uh, and uh, I, I hope it continues because uh, it, is, it has been a dark road being, being someone who has supported England for, for some time. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on to the last group here. Uh, so Group H uh, with Colombia coming out on top. Uh, and then a little bit of controversy if if we can, uh, with Japan coming out in second, Senegal in third, and Poland last. Bridget, I'll go to you first. I have very little to say about this this group. I have no caveats because I honestly don't know very much about any of these teams. I'm not familiar with the leagues in each country, and the national teams are sort of off the periphery of the teams that I, I follow and pay attention to. 
I will say my prediction for this group based on FIFA rankings on based on sort of a cursory look at the squads and what their what their clubs are and what their personal records are I predicted um, that Poland the Colombia would advance with Poland at the top of the group <laughs> um, and I think this might be one of the only group where I was so completely wrong <laughs> but it, maybe that's in large part because I'm not familiar but that's I mean that's about all I have to say I just don't I just don't know enough. Okay, um, Poland was a serious disappointment here. Okay, like I mean, this is a squad that should have played much better. Uh, I expected much better from them given their performance in the qualifiers. Uh, they they look like they were like on a holiday. Um, Japan, I believe, has kind of surprised us all. But as Steve has imparted to me in many of our conversations, uh, we should not really be surprised given the quality of their roster. So, I mean, they, they still can cause problems. Colombia is, is, is a marvelous team with coached by one of the smartest football managers out there right now, and Jose Pacerman. Uh, in my opinion, they were served poorly by some dodgy officiating the first match. I, yes, I believe that that was a penalty. Uh, it was clear that it was a penalty, but I don't think he should have been served a red card. And I think if Colombia were allowed to play the full match or the full 11, the result might have been different and it might have changed the complexion. Uh, the performance against Poland was one of the best in the tournament, I think. Okay, um, Senegal, what a lovely squad to watch. I mean, I love their mix of skill, speed, tactics, organization, and imagination. I truly underestimated the squad, and I feel terrible for the fact that the decision came down to basically fair play. And, uh, you know, uh, that's why they weren't allowed to go on to the next round. Better than a coin toss. Um, yes. I expected nothing less from Poland. I have complete disagreement with you. If you looked at the quality of the teams that they chose to play in their friendlies building up to this tournament, they did not prepare themselves properly at, at all. all. Uh, disappointed for Senegal, but also disappointed in Senegal. Um, only in that they just seem to fall asleep at the wrong moments. But I'm like, Aliou Cisse had this team playing exactly the style of football that I expected and that I wanted to watch. Um, agree with you on Colombia, but they're going to have some problems if Hamas is, is hurt. They are going to face some significant issues. Uh, Japan deserved more respect, and we, yeah, we didn't yeah. give it to them at for, the end of the day. For, for real. Um, honestly, I don't even have a question for this one. To, yeah, to tell you the truth, this group was... Uh, I almost feel like I have to go for a smoke. This group was just not... Um, not even enjoyable. No. So, uh, so what I'm going to do is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss upcoming matchups in the round of 16 with quick-fire responses from... Uh, from your co-hosts. We'll be right back. Okay, so we are back with our round of 16 predictions. What I am going to do in this section is uh, I'm going to I'm gonna name the matches. Going to... Uh, and Bridget, I know you're not a big fan of the predictability side of it, but I'm going to ask you... Uh, quick fire, who you think is going to win? I'm going to ask you both who you think is going to win and what you think is going to to happen uh, in the matches. So we're going to go first to game one, France versus Argentina. What do you think, Bridget? 
Who knows? It's anyone's World Cup. No, but seriously, um, I I honestly think it could go either way. I think it depends on which team pulls together better on the day. Julia? I'm going to take Argentina, okay? And I'm going to do this really quick. I mean, based on Frank's, Frank's pathetic display and Argentina's redemption alone, I see Argentina rising to the occasion. Argentina has Messi and they have Marcus Rojo. What what more do they need? <laughs> Marcus Rojo in the same sentence with Messi. My goodness, we're really reaching here, are we? Yeah, uh, Armani. As long as Caballero doesn't start, who I think is oh, then, there, then yeah. he's, a, he's like worst yeah. keeper in the tournament. That guy, that guy should be somewhere with a broom and a shovel. You know what I mean? Give him a broom or a shovel. Dad say that about yeah, that's Higuain. my dad say uh, when he said about Hikuain. Give him a broom or a shovel. Um. Does anybody have any other comments they want to make about this uh, this matchup, or shall we move on to the to the next? Well, oh, go ahead, Bridget, please. Well, I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering a little bit if France is. I mean, have, are they reserving? The, have they been reserving their strength? This and is yeah. This is a theory. This is a theory that that, that I I have. Uh, uh, but you know. This is this is the way Deschamps coaches, and this is a theory I I I, I have, and I, I, perhaps this is what can happen. But you know, we're kind of basing this, I think, on, on past performances. Well, not past in the sense of like you know twenty years, but the last three matches, right? And and I, and, I, and I really think that you know, I would even put this awful Argentina team. Uh, you know, a nose ahead of this awful French team to win. Uh, you know, that's that's how I would think. And I mean, I don't see Paul Pogba waking up, and I don't believe that this French squad, a squad can be motivated to play at the level that they need right now. For me, every 90 minutes is a new 90 minutes. Yeah. And if your 90 minutes has Leo Messi in it, be, watch out. Yeah. Uh, Again, if Sam Pauli gets the tactics right and puts the right players on, uh, Argentina is a, is a very dangerous team, especially when their backs are up against the wall. They showed it in qualifying, and they and I think they showed it against uh, Nigeria. This isn't to discount the French team. The French team has tons of quality in it. Uh, to me, stop playing Giroud. Put <laughs> put Griezmann back up top. And put Mbappe and Dembele back in the team yeah. with him and attack. Go at speed at this Argentina team and you'll beat them. Yeah, that's their weakness for sure. Yeah, they have to They have to go at speed. Hey, uh, on to game two. Uh, Uruguay versus Portugal. Julian, I'm going to go to you first. I'm very excited about this match. Uh, this might be the most mouth-watering matchup after, after the Spain-Portugal match. And I really hope that it lives up to the bill. Uh, I think this is going to be a toss-up. Okay. I see this going to penalties. I see a red card. I see some VAR rubbish taking place. But if I, I'm going to go with my heart on this one, and I have to give it to Uruguay because uh, these squads are pretty much evenly matched, despite Portugal having Ronaldo. At the end of the day, you know, Bridges' favorites, Godin and Jimenez, along with Muslera and Goal, will organize a very tight defense. Uh, I give Uruguay just a tiny edge in the midfield. And they have some impressive, lethal talents uh, with El Pistolero Suarez and Cavani, and they can be just as deadly as Ronaldo. Mr. Bridget, what I'm, do you think? Oh, sorry? No, I'm, I was actually just passing it to you. 
Okay. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to this match. And as reluctant as I am to predict, um, I'm tentatively saying Uruguay will progress. Um, I, I had predicted in, in my, my, when I was working it out earlier that Portugal would face Uruguay. Um, so maybe I'm just, maybe I'll be successful along this sort of line. Um, and so far, Uruguay have been energetic and successful, and I don't believe that Portugal have had as decisive results. And I think the thing I said earlier about the quality of goals is still kind of my opinion that if you're depending on a particular way for a goal to happen, it may it you know it may not be enough for Portugal, given Uruguay's successes. So tentatively saying Uruguay will progress. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in agreement there. My my heart says Uruguay, but. Ronaldo wants yeah. this World Cup more than uh, than anything, and you know what? And FIFA, we haven't seen any match fix. Well, maybe we've seen a little bit of it with VAR, but you know, FIFA wants a Messi versus Ronaldo game to happen in which this would, tournament, which would be the quarter, which would be the quarterfinals which, after this. Yeah, yeah, so that would be the quarterfinal happening uh, after this one. Uh, but you, I think you're right about the quality of goal score. Where Uruguay looks like they can score with their feet, their head. They can score yeah. from any which way. Uh, Portugal can score with Ronaldo. Yeah. Well, well Quaresma scored a beautiful goal. That, okay, that's, yeah. that's fair. That was probably one of the goals of the tournament. Yeah. Um, but that, uh, I think that wraps up our thoughts on this match. On, on that match. Uh, game three Spain versus Russia. Uh, Bridget, we'll go to you first. Oh man, I'm never going to give you a well-reasoned opinion on this one. <laughs> um, during the kerfuffle on Monday when Portugal were playing Iran and Spain were playing Morocco, I was incredibly tense about the results because of Uruguay's unexpected strength. I was desperately hoping Spain would end up playing Russia. Turns out they will be. However, as we've seen so far, there are so many unexpected elements to this tournament. I don't know if I have the confidence to make a prediction. <laughs> I want Spain to win, of course. But they need to both tighten up their defense and push forward harder. And the thing, Tiki Taka can be beautiful to watch, but there's been enough time since Spain's great triumphs with it that I'm pretty sure everyone's been training specifically to counter it. That was that was clear enough already at the wor last World Cup. I sort of long for a 2008 David Villa, someone to cut sharply through a defensive blockade before anyone's even noticed to chip the ball over the keeper. Diego Costa is a completely different style of striker. He's just as tenacious, but I think he's more like a tank than a saber. In the, in the Russian matches I've seen so far in this tournament, it seems to me that the players were trying things that they didn't quite have the skill for, and so I'm hoping that Spain can take advantage of that. But I also know Russia are a team of powerful players. Hoping for Spain, but I don't know. Yeah, me, a very efficient, I predict a very efficient and organized performance by Spain. And they will eliminate the hosts. Uh, Spain, they're just simply better than the Russian squad, okay? I see Isco having another great match uh, with Iniesta's beautiful and sublime passes. Uh, Russia, of course, will heroically fight. And I think they'll cause Spain a bit of distress for about 15 to 20 minutes. But Spain will prevail. Yeah, Spain, Spain no contest. And it's really disappointing, I have to say, that I think it's going to be... Uh, Real Madrid players and Manchester City player that are going to be the players that supply yeah. it. Um, I'm not sure Iniesta is going to have the greatest of games because I think they're going to target him out of the midfield specifically. 
Uh, I'm actually looking for David Silva to have a great game. Uh, Isco to have a great game. And for some reason, I don't understand why uh, Hierro has not played Asensio at all in this tournament. Because he's not coaching. He's not coaching. I think the coaching. I think the coaching is done by a collective on the field. Well, even uh. then, Asensio. Uh, it, it surprises me Asensio doesn't get on the get on the pitch before a player like Iago Aspas, okay. who is a great player. But uh, like, let's face it, Asensio is winning a lot. Um, on to game four. We have Croatia versus Denmark. Julian. Very, very quick. Uh, despite knowing how to defend and having Eriksson, Croatia's quality will prevail. Modric, who I can't stand because he is uh, <laughs> he plays for FC Franco, but he's a tremendous midfielder. And Mandzukic are the type of players that break down these type of stubborn, stubborn defenses. You know, the ones that Denmark is capable of producing. So I'm going to take I'm going to take Croatia in this one. I'm reluctantly predicting Croatia to win. Reluctantly because I have a place in my heart for Denmark, not because I have anything against Croatia. Um, I think they've shown greater energy and cohesion so far than Denmark. But I'm thinking that both teams might be comfortable sitting back and defending. So I don't know what it'd be like to watch. Uh, I'm I'm picking Denmark. Actually, Croatia historically has suffered against teams that set them up, set themselves up defensively. Uh, I predict infighting to start at around the 55th, 60th minute between the <laughs> Croatian players uh, and two of their own players to get sent off for fighting with one another. Uh, Denmark to win on Denmark to win in like extra time. This sounds like the movie of the week. It would be a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on to game. On to game five, uh, which I think is going to be very exciting. Uh, Brazil versus Mexico, Julian. This is going to be a real barn burner, okay? I mean, this game is, this is, look, look at these matchups. Like, I mean, where are you going to get, these matchups are all great, but this one, to me, is just as good as Uruguay-Portugal, okay? If Mexico can replicate that intelligent performance they put up against Germany, I can see them pushing Brazil into penalty kicks, okay? Uh, um, if not pulling off even the, the upset. Um, as I said earlier, this version of Brazil does not impress me. I mean, it, it's extraordinary, but I feel that for them to shine, they have to score first. Then players like Paulinho and Ronaldinho, uh, uh, not Ronaldinho, sorry, Fernandinho, can come down and shut the match down. It would be awesome uh, to watch Ronaldinho in this team. Yeah, I had missed Ronaldinho so much. Um, however, I, you know, again, I, I, if they don't... Uh, if they don't score first, and I'm talking about Mexico, if Mexico doesn't score first, I see them suffering, okay? Uh, but they also have Chicharito, Lozano. The, 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 you, 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 they might be able, Mexico could be able to pull this off, right? I think the key for this match will be if Douglas Costa is, is in the lineup and if his fitness is 100%. Brazil is a completely different team with him. Uh, for, me, uh, uh, for me, this match, is, it, it could potentially be a toss-up. Yeah, Bridget, what do you think? Ultimately, I think Brazil might edge out Mexico. Um, I mean, I, that's, I, I, as you know, me and prediction. Um, I like to watch interesting football. And so in some ways, like I understand why this is going to be a good match to watch. It'll showcase skill in a way that any other combination wouldn't. Um, but I've sort of been getting used to 
used to the chaos that the group stages gifted us with. And I, in some ways, wonder what would have happened if it had finished differently and we would have gotten Brazil, Switzerland, and Mexico, Sweden. I mean, I think just the sort of the, the, the contrast and the clash of different styles would have been interesting. Yeah, I think that would have been that would have been great to watch. Um, I'm picking Brazil as much as I would love to watch Mexico uh, go through. Um, I just I, they look like they're out of gas at this point. Um, next up is Game Seven: Sweden versus Switzerland. Uh, Bridget, I'll go to you first. Um. Honestly, I don't know if I can pick out a winner between these two. I think they were both really strong in the group stages, and where they fell short, where you know things didn't go their way, I think it's fair to say it wasn't because of major errors. Um, like Game 5, I think we'll see a display of skill, because I think their styles do match up, yeah. um, but it'd be a different, kind of, a different kind of game. I agree with Bridget. The styles do match up, actually, uh, in a weird kind of way. And, and, and this could either be a barn burner or it could be a real snore fest. Uh, I like Switzerland in this match, given that they have a well-rounded squad, both in terms of attack and defense. Shakiri seems to have finally woken up from his slumber. This young man, in my opinion, is a world-class player. He just never seems to be kind of penetrating the first teams on, uh, or the first squads. Or, and when he was at Stoke, for example, he just didn't seem to be the, the, the deciding factor. But I think he's finally kind of waking up. I, I, I just don't think he's given us his best yet. Um, I hope he's on this trajectory again to live up to his potential. I believe this is the match uh, where you know he, he can be the catalyst for Switzerland and start to come of age. It's no wonder that you would have been asleep playing for football for Mark Hughes. Oh, well, anybody, yeah. I mean, we could have coached that team, yeah. I think. I, I, um, I'm going to take Sweden this game. They've knocked Italy and Germany off the perch now. Um, look for look for that to continue. Okay. Uh, on to uh, Belgium versus Japan, which was decided today. So off-the-cuff remarks are totally welcome here. Uh, Julian, I'll get to you first. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I admit and I confess that I'm one of those people that did not give Japan the love that they deserved and the respect that they deserved. But this Belgian team, when they're firing on all cylinders, they look scary. Okay, I mean, Romelu Lukaku in in in, in, um, in, in the match against Tunisia was just like he he was like a runaway train, and I mean he could do no wrong. And I just see him. I see him putting that kind of performance in. I give Belgium this hands down. And if Belgium loses, they, they it, 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 wow. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I think off the cuff, I might say that I would. I'd go with Belgium for winning this. Um, again, I me and prediction. I'm not. I don't know how how firm I am in that. But after watching England versus Belgium this evening and seeing how Belgium work as a unit, and also hearing sort of the buzz around Belgium, um, I think that I would go with them. Maybe maybe that's a conservative choice to pick for this game. But you know, off the cuff, that's kind of the direction I would go. Yeah, I think Belgium just looks too strong for this uh, this Japan team. At this point, uh, it is too bad. There are a lot of players in this uh, Japan team. Shinji Kagawa, uh, Kaisuke Honda, 
who have been around for a very long time and uh, and have deserved a fair amount, but I think they got everything that they deserved at the at the World Cup that their their country hosted or okay. co-hosted. Uh, and on to the last game, Colombia versus England. Bridget first. Yes. Oh, well, see, I don't know about making a prediction about this. I think there's there's this is one of those ones where I think there's going to be a real contrast in styles between the two teams, and it might be down to who, which team can sort of dictate the style of play. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on making a prediction on this one um, because I don't know if I can make because I'm so familiar with England and I'm sort of living in this in this sort of like bubble of England I'm li- literally living in England but like you know the sort of like, <laughs> my access to information about England is there's much more at my fingertips than there is about Colombia so I don't know if I know enough about Colombia or I'm going to be critical enough of England to be able to make a judgment here yeah, I, 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 look, this this is the game that England gets asked some serious questions, okay? And uh, in my opinion, they should respond positively. Colombia is no slouch. I would actually put Colombia in very many ways equal to, to England. And I think England is going to suffer in this game, but they're going to win. And I think that this will be the game where they, you know, they finally break through. If they break through the quarterfinals, then this is where England goes from strength to strength. But I can also see the, the result going the other way. If England does win, they're going to have to put in a really great performance. Protestant work ethic. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A strong Protestant work ethic. Uh, I, listen, uh, I've already said how I feel about England. I, I think they're going to win... Uh, the tournament, or at least make the semifinals. Uh, they look very good right now. Uh, if you match the teams up, uh, player to player to player, uh, I think the English just edge, uh, just edge the Colombians. Um, no, no disrespect to Falcao or or Cuadrado or any of the other players in that in that team, but uh, you've said it very often. If Harry Kane was Brazilian, he'd be worth 200 million pounds. Easy. Uh, interesting point. So I'm going to go with England. And that about wraps us up on our predictions for the upcoming matches. Um, uh, Bridget, before uh, before we end here, I just wanted to see if you had any, uh, any final words. I know Julian and I are very thankful that you were able to join us today on, on this edition. So thank you for... For taking the time out of your evening to to participate and, and share everything with us. Well, thank you so much for thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a really really fun experience. Well, we really enjoyed enjoyed your your contributions, and I look forward uh, to hearing much more of them. <laughs> yeah. Well. So yeah. Well. Yeah. That being said, uh, we're going to be back on this on July third. Uh, with uh, a, a discussion, uh, you know, we're basically going to see how our predictions measure up, and uh, we'll be talking about the quarterfinals. So stay tuned for another podcast coming on July third. Perfect. So uh, again, so that was Julian uh, Bridget was joining us as, uh, as well today. Uh, I'm Steve, one of the co-hosts of Bella Hutman's Curse, uh, and we are done for this evening. We'll talk to you all soon. Good night. <laughs>